Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we're doing something that we haven't done in a while. We are doing an episode without a guest, having just the three of us on. How does everybody feel about that? Great. It's good to do these once in a while. Yeah. We've got the three musketeers together. That's right. We thought it'd be a good week to take a break from having a guest on and just kind of talk about kind of our experiences that we've had here, some changes that we've noticed during our time within the seafood industry. So all three of us have been in the seafood industry for a relatively short amount of time. Uh, Especially compared to some of the people that we interview on the show. (laughs) Exactly. And I'm sure especially compared to a lot of our listeners. So we're going to get right into it. And I just, I I think I kind of want to start off by giving people a little bit of background because I think, you know, there are people who listen to us every week and they've been doing it for a couple of years and they may not know They might know a little bit about us based on some context clues we've given them, but they may not really know kind of what our experiences within the industry have been and kind of how we started and stuff. So let's, I I think it would be kind of fun to uh, go back a few years and kind of talk about how we got here and then talk about what we've noticed because with us not being in the industry for very long, we have still seen kind of major focuses and topics that have kind of come in and out of style uh, within the industry. So I think it would be interesting to talk about that. But um, before we get into it, do you guys have anything that you want to bring out before we, you know, while while we're here? Nope. I think we can get right into it. All right. Uh, let's start. Maddie, the, why don't we start with you? Maddie is home right now. She's not in the room with us. But Maddie, can you kind of tell us how you actually got into the seafood industry? Sure. So this is weird. I feel like I'm like interviewing you like, oh, like, tell us your <laughs> like story. I'm the guest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I studied in my undergrad bachelor's degree global environmental studies and philosophy. I had a double degree and my primary focus was um, food systems within both of those two spheres. And although they seem like they would be very different, like environmental science and philosophy, they're very much intertwined. And I took a lot of environmentally related classes that had to do with law, law and philosophy. So like environmental ethics, environmental law, international relations, things like that. And um, it definitely got me more interested in food systems as like the niche within the giant environmental community that I wanted to focus on because food is so important to humans. I mean, I think that that goes without saying it's part of our everyday lives. And there's also a lot of work to be done in the food industry as a whole. So I thought that it would be an interesting area to go into. And I spent a lot of my time in my undergrad focused on agriculture, and particularly organic farming. And I worked on a few farms throughout college. And I was a part of our um, on-site campus garden that grew food for our cafeteria on campus. So how do, how do was, you? Sorry, how do you make the make the connection? Like when you're choosing your major at you know 19 years old, 18 years old. Like how do you decide? Like how how do you think to put philosophy in? in there? Like <laughs> okay, how does that? I just I just question. don't know how that how that lines philosophy up. Like 
is so random. I know. And everybody that I tell that I major in philosophy has a similar question, like, why? (laughs) So I kind of just stumbled into it. Like environmental science was always my primary focus. And I ended up coming into college with having a few credits already from classes that I took in high school. So I had room for some electives. And I found myself, like the classes that I was gravitating towards were within the philosophy department. So, and I also had to take a logic class for my math requirement, um, which is logic. I loved logic. I was a logic teaching assistant. I know that I can't remember which one of you, but I know one of you hates logic. I love it. Yeah, I still have like college nightmares about my logic class. (laughs) Well, I could teach you if you ever want to learn more about it. Nope. Nope. Um, I'm done with it. So I I realized that I had taken like three philosophy classes like after my first or second year of school and I found out that it was only three more classes to get a philosophy minor so I was like oh okay I might as well do it and then and also like I was saying before a few of my classes that I took for my environmental ma- major aligned with the philosophy major so they like double counted for both majors hmm. which was really convenient yeah, and right. Then once I took those three classes and got the philosophy minor, then I found out there was only two more classes to get the philosophy major. So I was like, okay, I have to do it. Might as well. So I took the two classes, did a thesis and got my degree in philosophy. So it's kind of random and I definitely wasn't planning on it, but I'm so glad that I did it because I feel like it enriched a lot of my knowledge about the environment and how I approach the environment and like theory about the environment. I took philosophy, I think one philosophy class. As an elective. <laughs> what what class was it? I think it was just like philosophy 101. Mm. Uh, I, like Descartes. I got, a, I, I got like 105 final grade. Wow. And I don't remember anything. I just remember my professor being like, I encourage everybody to doodle in their notebooks throughout the entire class. Was, that okay. sounds like a philosophy class. <laughs> yeah. Plus plus and doodling. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I, I majored in, I majored in a, in a science, like, but it was, I, I majored in aquaculture, fishery technology. So it was like, it was a nice break from that. I didn't, yeah, I, I, that, I took that and I took like short stories and those are the classes I did really well in. I didn't do as good in my, most of my classes. <laughs> Sometimes that's how it happens, especially if you're in a more rigorous degree, like I would imagine aquaculture and fisheries would be. Medi, was this your first job out of college? So after I graduated, I got a job with the World Bamboo Organization, which isn't necessarily food related, but it's in the oh, general. If you're like, panda. Yeah, it depends yeah, who you ask. Yeah, animal <laughs> food. Um, but it's in the general like sustainability growing products area and farming, obviously, because people farm bamboo. And that was a great experience. I loved working there, but it was a really, really small organization. And I knew that I wanted to do something that was a little bit more people oriented, like not just about the environment, but also like interacting with people on a regular basis. So I was looking for jobs and I knew that I wanted to get back into food. So I discovered the global, at the time, Global Aquaculture Alliance was hiring for an outreach coordinator. And I was like, wow, that sounds really interesting because it's definitely food related and it's definitely people related and it's definitely environmentally minded, especially once I looked at the website. So that is how I came into the seafood industry. And one of the big reasons why I decided to take the job was because 
since my prior experience was very much focused on agriculture, I knew nothing about seafood, nothing about the seafood industry at all. I barely even knew what the word aquaculture meant. So I was really excited to delve into this new industry and learn a lot more about it because there was nothing about it in my classes and my undergrad degree. So that's a very long synopsis of how I got here. And that was how many years ago did you start? I started in March 2018, so a little over four years ago. Justin, what about what about you? How did you end up in seafood? My, you were a teacher. Yeah, my previous background didn't align as well as Maddie's on how she found out or how she ended up with now GSA. But yes, I was a teacher and I was in education. And then I moved on from public education into like the training realm, which is still in a way ed- education, right? But uh, it just so happened that when I applied to an e-learning developer position, I just had a specific set of skills <laughs> that they were looking for. And I was interested to kind of learn more about the industry, but also um, dabble in something that I really, really enjoyed doing previously, which was just developing online educational content at the time. So I really had no understanding of the seafood space at all, other than what I read as headlines, which as we talk about all the time on the show can be very misleading Mm. at times, Mm -hmm. right? So my perception of farmed aquaculture specifically was not necessarily a good one. I had this vision in my head that there are net pens in the water that these like mutant grown salmon like (laughs) jump over or crash through and then invade all of the, (laughs) you know, all the native species in the ocean and it was destroying everything. And that's just what I thought of. And that's what you're told. And, and I mean, and that headlines a, is very catchy. And there are still people who believe not quite the crazy <laughs> story that I just told, but something very similar. Right. And it took a lot of education and a lot of these really great people that were working for the organization currently and also at that time to that are just huge advocates in the, in the space that were correcting me at all times and, and showing me like all these amazing things that were happening and why we were mis- misled and what the truths were and how great this industry is and and what it can become in the future right and so it's been a it's been a journey for me right i'm still in the education space i'm still creating content but through that the content i'm developing is supporting all other departments within this organization so i i have to understand what's happening and i've learned i've learned a lot in the at this point just over five years that i've been here right well my story is actually pretty different from both of yours (laughs) but you coming here justin and having a perception about aquaculture and farmed fish is already more than I had going into college and majoring in aquaculture and fishery tech. <laughs> I didn't know what aquaculture was. I had never thought about farmed fish. I'd had no pre perceptions about it. I didn't know anything. Like I didn't I didn't really know it was a thing. I knew that when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school, I would watch National Geographic documentaries on oceans and sea animals and all that and like would just get locked in and I just loved that whole world. So I was like, I'm going to do marine biology, you know, every naive kid, like I'm going to train dolphins at SeaWorld, <laughs> you know, whatever you, yeah. whatever you think. And uh, I was, I, I wanted to go marine biology, but I fell in love with the University of Rhode Island when I visited it. And I found out that they had a major called aquaculture and fishery tech and UNH, which was my state school, did not offer that at the time. I think they have a somewhat, some type of program there now. But at the time, they didn't offer anything. So I was able to get a tuition break called the Regional Tuition Program, where it would save me like $11,000 a year 
if I did a major that wasn't offered at my state school. So I was like, all right, there's a lot of similar coursework. I don't really know too much of the difference. I don't know what this is, but I'm going to be taking a lot of the same courses. So I'll do that. And if I don't like it, I'll, I'll just switch. And uh, I found out what aquaculture was on the first day of Aquaculture 101 freshman year. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I learned that it was fish farming. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so went through four years there of learning how to raise all different types of animals and, you know, didn't really do a lot of industry work. It was all kind of science-based, production-based, you know, it was science-heavy because you can kind of go down the fisheries side of things or the aquaculture side of things. And I realized that I liked the raising fish and I thought maybe I wanted to be an aquarist at an aquarium when I got out. So that would be a good route to go. And so I took all of these aquaculture courses did okay. And then when I got out, there's no aquaculture farms anywhere near me. And I didn't really feel like traveling to another country. You know, like we talked about with, with Ken, right? Like if you're willing to travel, you can do anything you want in the industry, but I wasn't really willing to travel very far. So I got a job at the New England Aquarium in education because most of my ex work experience had been substitute teaching and camp counselors, stuff like that. And my whole family was teachers, so I just had a good grasp on the education world and uh, taught people on the ed on the aquarium floor, brought, you know, tide pool animals to classrooms and taught kids about animals and stuff like that. And that was really fun. But there was, I, I couldn't network my way after being there for like two or three years. I couldn't network my way into being an aquarist because just those jobs are just really, really, they're coveted and people volunteer for 20 years before they get them, right? Yeah. So Especially at the New England Aquarium too. Yeah, it just it's just like... You really need to like put in a lot more time than I actually had to get that career. And I, I, I didn't have the resources to like be able to volunteer and do what I needed to do to get to that point because I had to, you know, survive and like eat and pay rent. <laughs> <laughs> and so I moved from there. I got a full time job raising zebrafish at Brigham and Women's Hospital for biomedical research, which was cool because I got to maintain this really robust, brand new state of the art recirculating system with two separate independent systems with, you know, all, all the different elements that we've talked about in some of these episodes, uh, raising tens of thousands of little tiny fish. It was super cool. But after three years there, I realized that the only path that I could take to kind of grow my career was to go into lab management, which I didn't really want to do, or research, like biomedical research. And I didn't really want to do that either. I, I enjoyed working with the fish and all that, but I was like, I, I should go back and find something within the industry. So when I actually found a job title that had the word aquaculture in it, because it was Global Aquaculture Alliance, it was Best Aquaculture Practices Certification Specialist. I jumped on that and signed on right away with like three other people that started. And we, I mean, it was like a GAA had been around at that point for 15 ish years, but they were still kind of acting like a scrappy startup, right? Like it was like a small number of people. They were just kind of centrally located into New Hampshire. And we were like trying to kind of start a lot of things from the ground up and uh, grew within the next few years, like just like tenfold. It was crazy. There was a new person starting out like every week after my first year. It was crazy. So that was like this September, that'll, it'll be seven years here for me. And that was really my first foray into the seafood industry. So even though I studied it in college, like I said, we didn't really do any industry or market stuff. It was all production. So everything I know about the industry, I pretty much learned from being here. And we've seen a lot of changes and stuff. I'm curious to you guys, like what feels different from when you started to what, what we feel now? I think for me, the first thing that comes to mind and keep in mind, I've only been here for four years, only been in the seafood industry for four years. So this is my very limited experience with the industry. But 
something that I've noticed is this shift from a huge focus on environmental impact, which is obviously still a priority in the seafood industry. But what's been gaining more priority in addition to that is social accountability and social responsibility. There's been so much progress towards like educating the public about the challenges that the industry has faced in the past with regard to social and all of the work that's been done in the past few years, especially in the past like five to 10 years to combat those challenges and new things that have been put in place to monitor the social well-being of people in the industry and just generally prioritizing the workers that get all of these things done to get seafood to people's plates. Yeah, I remember when I started, it was like, it, like you said, there didn't seem to be one that I knew of. I mean, I was a BAP certification specialist with limited knowledge of what was actually going on out there at the time, but there didn't seem to be like that one big topic, right? Like, I feel like every year or so, there's kind of one big main thing that a lot of people the are buzzword. talking about. Yeah, yes, you are on. so right. And there didn't really seem to be that, but then the social stuff that was coming out of Thailand became a really big topic. I don't know if you remember that. Some of the um, social issues that were coming out of some of the processing plants and stuff in Thailand, that that was a really big headline that kind of overtook the, the majority of the conversations that were had around here, at least within the industry. Um, so, you know, the, you you did see that shift. And then that was like a big change. Like all of a sudden, everything was social, right? That was right around the time you came in, Justin. Yep. And we you, they had you create the social accountability uh, informational suite of, suite of yeah. courses for for the academy here at GSA GAA right and we had to all take that and, and learn about kind of what the standards cover and and what some of the main social issues are at these facilities that we were certifying and that just that it just became such a big thing and there were different coalitions launched and you know businesses that were started up to help um, address some of these social things Maddie I think you're right I think that was the first since I started that was like the first big like major topic that kind of overtook the industry. Definitely. And another thing that comes to mind is, and I think this happened. So Sean and Justin, you guys can probably speak more in depth about this than I can. But right before I started, it seems like traceability became a huge focus for the industry. That seems like that is a newer concept, like within the past 10 years that has become like the forefront of decision making for a lot of companies and also for consumers. Yeah, I think that's because technology has changed so changed so much. And we've had guests on the podcast before, right, that talk about, you know, I, all the species or the, all the fillets that were, or, that were mislabeled mm-hmm. and whether that was done on purpose or not. And people couldn't be confident in what they were getting is actually what they were paying for. And so it turned into like, I need to be able to trust this. How do I trust this? And it's like, well, we need to be able to to trace this back to its origin to prove it is what it is. And it's like, well, how the heck are we going to do this? And it's like, oh, well, guess what? There's technologies out there now that we live with QR codes and, and these processes where everything's documented before it moves along to the next part of the supply chain. And before you know it, like, yeah, like you said, Maddie, I think traceability has become huge and under other industries I don't know if they had a head start on this or if this all is happening in similar industries at the same time. Yeah, I think it's the, something that I don't I don't know if the seafood industry is behind, but I do think it's something maybe that maybe not on traceability, I don't know. Pretty uh pretty popular. I think I feel like it goes back to one of the first episodes actually where we interviewed Maddie before we made her a co-host <laughs> where you were Maddie you were talking about um voting 
with your purchases, right? Yes, and, totally. And the influence, you talk about the influence that consumers make on the industry. Once consumers get it, some, whatever they hear it from that, um, you know, that it's important to know where your food comes from. Once they start asking those questions, that's when it starts trickling up. And I feel like yeah. those questions started, I don't know when people started putting a big focus on that, but it did seem like it was only within the last five to seven years that people started focusing on that on a larger scale and really starting to take actions to make that a priority, make that traceability a priority. And that's like, when I say that these buzzwords and these big major topics kind of take over, it's not that when a new topic comes into like popularity to start, you know, addressing that these other ones go away. Exactly. Like, and it also they just doesn't come along mean, in a way where they go ahead, Maddie. And it also doesn't mean that it's the, the first time that this has ever become a thing. Exactly. Like, there's decades of history that have made both of these topics become forefront of the industry. It's not like it, a switch was flipped and then, oh, suddenly we care about traceability. Like there was a lot that had to happen in order for traceability to become what it is now. Mm -hmm. And I think traceability, that specifically, you can trace back to the need of consumers or purchasers, whoever, retailers wanting to know where that what they ordered is actually what they get. And I'm just, I was having, when we were discussing this episode topic, and I was thinking about, well, what have I seen that's changed? And I struggled with deciding, like, how do I define that? Because I'm in the industry all yep. the time, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm involved with all the news articles that are taking place, and I'm con- I-, I live in the bubble, so to speak. And I wonder what my perception would be if I wasn't, if I was still teaching, if I was still a trainer, would I still have negative views on farm seafood or wild seafood, whatever it is, like would that, would those headlines still be dominating like someone who isn't directly involved within the industry? Like I see so much great things that are happening from innovations on both sides and, and just these really passionate people who have been in the industry for a really long time and can tell us their story and we live and breathe that now. So it's really hard to see. Right, we're like, in the bubble, right? The, yeah. the vacuum that we've talked about. And I wonder, I mean, and maybe that's worth bringing up too. Like we do talk about that vacuum and great things happen and we, everyone in the industry like pats each other's back, but does it, does it get out of that vacuum? Mm-hmm. And I actually feel like it's starting to starting break to. through. Really, I was going to say, I think, than it ever has. I think that's a, a change that we're starting to see happen now is we are starting to find ways to break out of that vacuum because I think people have recognized it, that that's a thing, right? Like maybe they heard it on the show and they were like, hey, let's fix this. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, we can I, take I, all credit. Yeah, I will take full credit for, for the breakdown of that vacuum. <laughs> um, but hey, we've been talking about it for three years now. So I, I do think that we're starting to see uh, some tendrils from within start to break out of that vacuum and, and and start spreading some true information out there. But it is such a, a challenge because there's so people are really, really passionate about hating this industry, particularly farmed seafood, mm-hmm. uh, which is just, it's fascinating to me. I was talking about this the other day when we were, we were in the office and I was saying, this is, it's fascinating how much energy people put into hating something that they're not involved in. So it's it's always going to be a challenge because that's always going to be there and you know we're 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 in kind of an underdog industry when we're looking at the 
aquaculture side of things. But one other thing that I noticed that was really big that kind of like overtook this this conversation, like we've been saying. So, you know, first it was the social stuff and then it was traceability. And then animal welfare, I feel like has kind of always been like hovering. There's, there's just kind of always been talking about it. But now we're seeing a lot of new technologies, like rapid fire technologies. And I know that we've always seen new technologies within the industry, specifically in aquaculture, we talk about a lot, but I feel like people, the last few years, you're hearing more about people finding problems and straight up addressing them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like CML. Yeah. Like there's a lot of like innovators out there who are just like, okay, this is a problem that's been going on for a long time. Like I'm just going to figure out a way to fix it. And I, I feel like I didn't really see those types of headlines. And maybe it's just because I wasn't as ingrained in my first few years with what's going on outside of the office and like in the industry. But I feel like it's only been the last two-ish, two to three years that I've seen like all of these new things coming out. Like, hey, this was an issue for the last however many years. Look what I did to address it and fix it, <laughs> you know? And uh, I feel like that's, I don't know. I don't know what kind of sparked that kind of, I don't know. Maybe it's just something that's been going on and I've just missed it. But Yeah, well, there's just been, I know we're talking a lot about aquaculture as well. But well, that's the world that we lived in, right? Yeah, for for yeah for a while, for for most of the time that I've been here, and I think there's just been this weird. I don't, I don't know why I use the word weird, but it's. I feel like there's just been this this transformation of like it being popular to to start like farming mussels or farming mm-hmm. oysters, like in Maine yes, where I live on the coast. So true. It reminds me of the what happened to like microbreweries. They like popped up at every corner, and it was just like, well, you haven't had. 11th street ipa yeah well no i've been stuck on 12th and 13th street doing their their you know what i mean so, so but like what everywhere. sparked that though like why why how did that become popular was it because environmentalists too like you think of yeah. raising those type of species and how good they are but it's a it's a cash product mm-hmm. and you're out working with nature which is good to see like people not sticking into the offices and getting out and you're doing this you're on the water and when you see pictures of people who are doing this they just look at peace they look really happy and they're doing good things and, and you know like some of that you know too. when we had the um i don't remember which guest it was but it may have been when we were talking about scallops you know a lot of people moved into something like shellfish farming as a result of there being issues with the fisheries right like either quotas they can't collect as much or they're right. they're limited in the days they can go out or yeah. there's you know the overfishing issues are leading them uh that's happening in the philippines too we talked about with josette in the last episode right they're leading them into farming fish uh, as opposed to just straight up fishing it. So, you know, that's a like a result of, of a, another issue that we're seeing within the industry, which is why I was trying to like with the beer thing. I'm like, how like what was the cause of that? Why did that become popular? But that just may be trendy. Why are those, what are they called? Poppets? Or the thing that every single kid has like 50 of. You know those Pop, things? What? Pops? But the, they're the little latex things that just have oh yeah the pop the yeah the little anxiety I have no toys. idea what you're talking about oh god it's because we're parents do you know yeah. sean at least yeah no we have those all over the house my kids love it it's like an anxiety toy where it's basically reusable bubble wrap oh uh, yeah like oh, made of rubber no i was fun. like i need this one i'm like i'm not paying five dollars yeah, like for pop sheets for a pop sheet are you kidding me like, yeah w- why is this a thing they're kind of cool they kind of calm your kids down i kind of like it 
I like the idea behind it. it but does yeah, not come but like a I mean, toys, trendy toys, and you know that is a whole other thing. You go back to fidget spinners. Next episode and, of the three of us will yeah. talk about trendy toys, zoo zoo bands or whatever. They're crazy <laughs> a natural bands. fit for aquademia. Yeah, totally. Um, so Justin only has about one minute left with us before he has to go into another meeting. But Maddie, I think we can keep talking for a little bit. Yeah, so. you should. This is a good conversation. Yeah, I'll just uh, pop out. Justin, do, do you have anything else that you want to kind of get out there? Any other things you've noticed, or what you think is the next kind of big? change or, or a big thing coming within the industry based on what you've said? Uh, I, my last point I think would be a phrase that was more popular when I started five years ago that we don't use or we don't hear about anymore. And that was farm versus wild. Mm-hmm. And I think that the industry struggled trying to one is better than the other. And, and there seems to be, like, there was a breaking point or this aha moment where people realize like these two industries need to work together Mm -hmm. and we need to do that for the better of the industry and there's a way that they both can coexist and i think we're starting to see well one that phrase i i haven't i mean i just said it for the first time and probably this this year is the first time that i've had to even mention it but i think we're going down a path where the industry as a whole is really just trying to look at what they can do to improve and and it's a it's a really good thing so i know exactly when that happened when that breaking point was do you know no, but I'm sure you'll tell us. I was sitting in this chair right here like when we hosted that round table with, oh, with, okay. with uh, reps from both sides. And we called it, uh, what did we call it? Come Together. Beatles Yeah, reference. and the theme song from the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. except yeah. we couldn't use that because of copyright laws. So uh, like, yeah, we'll have to scratch that from we'd have our to pay, audio. Yeah, yeah, we'd have to pay the... Uh, They're always listening. <laughs> well, maybe we should l- link to that. Yeah. Sure. Go ahead, Maddie. Well, Justin, feel free to leave if you need to, but that reminds me of something yeah i'm already taking my headphones off okay yeah oh wait are you talking to me i have one minute no no i'm just gonna go off on what you just said about broadening to the seafood industry as a whole so one thing right. i'm sure you can do better than i did but i'm, I'm leaving thank you all of our listeners for uh tuning in and you guys enjoy the rest of the show thanks manny or thanks justin <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead, Manny. So one thing that we talked about in one of my energy classes in college was, I'm definitely talking a lot about college today, but it's relevant, I promise. One of the things that we talked about is how energy companies tend to pigeonhole themselves into saying like, I am an oil company, I am a coal company, and all other Mm -hmm. kinds of energy are bad. And this is why our type of energy is the best. And one of my the, one of the main points that my professor was trying to make when talking about this topic is that it would be a much better idea for these companies to broaden their own views of themselves from being this more small scale thing like just an oil company to being an energy company as a whole, oh, and then they can do they can open the path for themselves to pursue solar energy or wind power or hydropower. And they could end up probably not that it's about the money, but they could probably end up making more money if they were to broaden their offerings. And then it would also be better for the environment. And I think that we've seen a very similar thing of an industry actually addressing what my professor was trying to get across. And instead of having all of this infighting, not that there was a lot of infighting in the seafood industry, but in the energy industry, there is getting rid of infighting (laughs) and 
just realizing like we're fighting for the same thing here. We just want people to eat more seafood. We don't want people to think about their seafood in this binary of wild versus farmed. We just want people to be eating more seafood. Yeah, responsible seafood. Yes. Whether it's, you know, it's, it's what we've been talking about literally since day one, whether it's farm raised or wild caught, just make sure it's responsible because there's responsible ways to consume both production methods, right? Exactly. And I, I think we're going to see further progress in that. But I've, I've always kind of felt since I've been in this industry that it, that, that in, you call, we, we quote infighting is not infighting, but it's the consumers and it's the people outside the industry that are perpetuating that. Yes, right? like, exactly. Sean. Like we would go to the Boston Seafood Show and it's not like a street brawl where people are like, the, the aquaculture gangs are going fighting against the fisheries gangs. Like it's just, it's all kind of people just doing business <laughs> and you know, there's different ways of production. Exactly. And I'm sure that, I'm sure that some people had their own opinions that are biased based on what they are doing, but we never really saw too much of that, like infighting never. and that like, it's, it's really on the consumer end and the, and it's the people with the loudest voices that are, you know, making these headlines definitely and so it's interesting now and i think what what justin was talking about is where like we're seeing progress in that is because we are starting to break out of that vacuum a little bit exactly that's what i think and uh, the next one of the next big things that i see and it's not as broad of a topic but one of the next big things that i see coming down the line is this is um the use of satellite technology that is like this just this year that's been big even just us in our podcast world this year. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we sat down with two people on the same weekend who are doing, are both using satellite data for different things, but within the industry, right? One is focused on salmon farms and uh, using the history that you get from those photographs and stuff to kind of help salmon farmers make some predictions. And then the other one is shrimp farmers is more focused on shrimp farmers. And it's just like, all of a sudden, everyone's looking at satellite data. Like, what else can we do with it? You know, and that's yeah, just that, that is just going to expand. And clearly, clearly, people are recognizing that potential and they're starting to do it. And, and they're doing it right now at the same time. So, like, people are going to start working together. There's going to be, uh, I think there's going to be more innovations on that front that we're going to see, which is interesting because, like, they're like, oh, yeah, we can look at data from like years and years ago. So, this data has been available, but why has no one thought to harness it until this year? And now we're seeing it from multiple outlets. So like, I feel like that's a big thing that's, that's coming down the line that we're going to see more of. Yeah, that's so true. And that's so true about the trend of it. Like all of a sudden we're hearing so much about it this year. Right. Well, I don't want to go for too long, I mean, too long without Justin. Cause I think it is a good, I think it's a good topic. And I think, I, I hope that our listeners enjoyed getting a little insight into our paths. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, th- I don't think we necessarily need to do career pathways for us, but I think, uh, you know, <laughs> no, it's always mine's, mine's kind of interesting, total of five minutes. especially if people are regular listeners to kind of have an idea of where we came from. Yeah, right? exactly. So. It was also nice to hear you and Justin talk about your stories. Like I, I know it, but it's, it was just nice to hear it like as a holistic picture. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. You know, I think, I think just it's nice every once in a while to have these conversations where it's just the three of us and we can kind of like, you know, we talked about kind of grounding ourselves. Yes, um, like zoom out. A few episodes ago, but I think it's kind of nice to just look back and kind of like discuss what we've seen and what we've noticed. 
I, I will say this podcast has been something that I've been trying to get done since I started seven years ago. If we're talking about our history, I literally, the first year that I was here, I said, Hey, we should, we should do a podcast. And uh, we had so few resources. <laughs> there were not a lot of people and uh, we had, they're trying to do a lot of things and it just wasn't in the cards. Um, and podcasts were not as popular. I, I discovered podcasting from being trapped in the fish room in the basement of the hospital by myself for eight hours a day feeding fish. Uh, I started listening to podcasts and I got really heavy into it, but it wasn't as widely popular as it is now. So it took me a few years before I switched over to the education team and uh, convinced them to let me start this. So this is something that's been in the works for a long time. And I'm proud of where we are because I want to give a shout out to Justin and Maddie because we showed up on a couple lists recently. Maddie, did you yes, see those? Yes, I did. Well, I don't know what happened to Maddie. She's with me, but she's frozen or something. But uh, we showed up on a couple of lists. I'll link to them in the show notes. But we, uh, we, we were highlighted as number five on the list of the top 15 best sustainable podcasts of all time. And then another one was top 80 sustainability podcasts or something. And we were number 14 on that list. So uh, I don't know off the top of my head what list they were, but we were listed on there. So um, very, very proud of that and uh, proud of the work that we've done. And I want to say thank you to all of our listeners because we wouldn't have achieved that without you guys. So thank you so much for that. I think I lost Maddie. So I'm just going to wrap this up by myself. Remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen so you can get every new episode downloaded automatically to your device as soon as it becomes available. If you want to contact us, you can fill out the contact form at globalseafood.org slash podcast, or you can email us podcast at globalseafood.org, or you can find us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. And lastly, if you have a couple minutes, we would really appreciate it if you took the time to leave us a rating and review. It really helps us out, and we appreciate everybody that has already done that. Thank you so much for listening. From myself and Maddie and Justin, we'll talk to you next time.